One of the activities that most of us dread is an annual checkup with a doctor. Having a regular physical exam is probably a a good idea, but no one schedules that appointment with eagerness, do they? Aside from the potentially uncomfortable personal aspects of the exam, there's usually a needle involved. They want to draw some blood, run some tests. And then there's the unappreciated advice like you need to eat better or cut back on salt or sure would help if you could shed a few pounds. As much as we dislike this experience, we recognize that it's good to keep up with our physical health. But in truth, it's also good to keep up with our spiritual health. Today's passage is going to take us to a place where we can do a sort of spiritual checkup. We'll think about our relationship with God. How is your relationship with God? What changes do you need to make spiritually? These are the kinds of questions that we will explore together as we look at Colossians chapter 1. And we'll see uh, a time of of sort of performing a a spiritual checkup. But I promise, no needles this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, We haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In this text, Paul teaches that we delight in knowing the ways of God that our ways might delight God. We delight in knowing the ways of God that our ways might delight Him. In verse 9, Paul prays for the Colossians to be filled with a greater knowledge of the will of God. Notice that God is the one who would fill these believers. Paul wants these brothers and sisters filled all the way up with an understanding of God's will, like a glass of tea that's plumb full. If you move it, it's going to spill. Paul wants the believers to grasp God's will, to be overflowing with the knowledge of of God's will. Why? Already, if you remember back in verses 3 through 8, Paul has said that the Colossians had a vibrant faith. So why is he praying for them to have a greater knowledge of God's will? This is the reason, because as a Christian, you can never put your Christian walk on cruise control. Paul knew that. He wanted these believers to advance in their walk with Jesus. Paul is saying, you've made it to the moon, now make it to Mars. Keep going, keep growing. When Paul talks about God's will, it's unlikely that he's talking about God's private will for a particular believer. Sometimes we Christians have some crazy ideas when it comes to the will of God. You know, like the young man who was praying before he went to bed at night, he was praying about whether or not it was God's will for him to be a bull rider. Well, the next morning, the marshmallows and his lucky charms were nearly in the shape of a bull. And, and that was it. God had answered. Bull riding it was. And so he rushed to tell his mother that God had spoken. Well, that's silly. And yet Christians do that sort of thing all the time. That's not what Paul is speaking about here. 
What is he talking about? Look in the, the, at the next phrase in verse 9. He says he wants them to understand God's will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. To have spiritual understanding is to have a grasp of God's word and God's ways and to know how to live that out in daily life. Imagine owning a top-of-the-line bow, but not just owning it, knowing how to use that bow skillfully. That's what Paul's saying. I want you to know the word of God, and then I want you to be able to use it. I want it to, to play out in your life. So what does Paul's prayer teach us? Delight in, long for, get a hold of the ways of God. Delight in, long for, get a hold of the ways of God. Study God's word and learn about God's will and about God's way and let your life conform to that. What else does Paul's prayer reveal? Well, in verse 10, we see Paul longs for the Colossians to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, if Paul's prayer, the purpose of Paul's prayer hadn't already been obvious, it is clear now. He wants the Colossians to gain knowledge of God's will so that their lives will change, so that they'll become more and more like God, more and more pleasing to God. Now, imagine being a football coach and spending hours and hours and hours training and teaching young men the fundamentals of the game, drilling it into them, and then watching those same boys go out onto the field and play like it was their first time to hold a football. Now, some of you former coaches may have had that experience. But Paul is saying, I want you to learn about God, and I want what you learn about Him to be evident on the field. I want it to affect how you live. Put it into practice. Notice that Paul underscores this idea when he says that he wants their lives to be fully pleasing to God. Paul's aim isn't a touchdown or two. It, it isn't even a winning season. Paul wants these believers to win the championship year after year after year. In other words, he wants their lives to fully conform to the ways of God, to fully please God in every aspect of their lives with consistency. He wants the lives of these believers to delight their Lord. What else does Paul's prayer teach us? That we should walk in a way that delights the heart of God. We should walk in a way that delights the heart of God. What does that look like? Well, Paul lays out four marks of a life that delights God. First, growing in your walk with him. That, that delights God when our Christian faith is growing, when we're, when we're maturing. In verse 10, Paul says a worthy life will be marked by bearing fruit. In other words, there will be growth and fruitfulness in the Christian life. A withering tree yields little fruit. But Paul says a life that honors God is filled with fruit. Well, what does Paul mean by fruit? A life that's becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus. That's a fruitful life. A life that's marked by the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These fruits of the Spirit, when these things begin to characterize our lives, there is a fruitful Christian life. A person who loves others even when they're wronged, there's a fruitful Christian life. A person, a person who serves the Lord and, and gives time trying to, to minister to others, there's fruit. That, that's fruit. A person telling others about Jesus or striving to make disciples and teach others the, the word of God. There's a fruitful Christian life. These are marks that Paul wants to see developed in the lives of these Colossians. You don't go to the trouble to plant 
an orchard of apple trees because you want shade. No, you go to the trouble to plant an orchard of apple trees because you want apples and you want lots of them. And what Paul is saying is that a life that delights the heart of God is like an orchard tree that's filled with apples that are beautiful and delicious, sparkling. When a believer is becoming more and more patient with a spouse, when a daddy is leading his family in, in devotions around the dinner table, when a Christian is sharing Jesus with a coworker, when a believer tells the truth even when it hurts, when a Christian holds fast in the midst of suffering, these are the apples, these are the fruit that Paul longs to see developed in the lives of the Colossians. Are you growing in your walk with Jesus? Is there fruit in your life that reveals that, that you're moving forward in, in the faith? Let's think about the second mark of a life that delights God. That is growing in your understanding of Him. Growing in your understanding of God. Paul says this at the end of verse 10, but remember back in verse 9, Paul prayed that their knowledge of God or their knowledge of God's will might grow. Well, now in verse 10, Paul suggests that growing in the knowledge of God is a mark of walking worthy. Now, is Paul making a circular argument? No. And here's why, because when you grow in the knowledge of God, that leads to a life that honors God. And when you live a life that honors God, that leads to a deeper hunger to know him more, to know more about him. It's a bit like opening a can of Pringles potato chips. You eat one, but you're not done. You eat another and you want another. Instead of satisfying your hunger, those Pringles just make you hungrier. They just make you want one more. But that's what Paul wants to happen in the lives of these Colossians. He wants them to learn about God and to keep hungering, to know more, to know more, to know more. So are you growing in the knowledge of God? The third mark of a life that delights God is being empowered by him, being empowered by him. In verse 11, Paul prays for these believers to be strengthened with all power. Now, remember, we know that God is unlimited in his power. And Paul wants these believers to know that kind of strength. He wants them to see God's power at work in their lives. He says that this power would give them great endurance and patience. Now, why does Paul want these believers to have great endurance and patience? Well, as one writer said, it's because the Christian life is an uphill battle. To walk with Jesus faithfully, it's always war. There's a spiritual battle going on around us. You can see this in Ephesians 6. The devil wants to knock us out. He wants to keep us from following the Lord. We face all kinds of challenges. It's an uphill battle. And so Paul says, I want you to, to be empowered with the strength of God so that you can endure, so that you can remain patient and faithful in the midst of the trials and the struggles and the battles that you'll face. When you see the battery on your cell phone getting low, it's time to, to plug the cell phone in. Spiritually, Paul wants these believers to be plugged in. He wants these believers to be drawing close to him and finding new strength and new power from being near him, from being in the word, from, from being in prayer. The only way they'll be able to endure the inevitable heartaches of life and not run out of juice is when they find their strength and their power in the Lord. So are you praying for 
and relying on the strength of God, the power of God in your life? Are you saying to God, I'm weak. Please give me the power, the strength to endure this. What's the fourth mark of a life that delights God? Well, it's having a thankful heart. It's having a thankful heart. At the end of verse 11 and at the beginning of verse 12, we see that Paul encourages these Christians to joyfully give thanks to God. Now, most of us were blessed with with parents who tried to take good care of us. Not perfect parents, but but parents who who really cared for us. Not not everyone I know, but, but most folks. Do you remember that time as an adult when that truth really hit you for the first time? When you began to grasp how much your parents had really sacrificed for you. For most of us, that reality doesn't become very clear until our 20s, maybe 30s, maybe, maybe even until we have kids of our own. But when you finally grasp all that your parents did for you, all that they gave up for your good, your heart's flooded with gratitude. You want to let them know how much you appreciate them. You want to find some way to say thank you. Now that's how our hearts should be toward the Lord, filled with gratitude, filled with gratitude. Paul gives some reasons for the gratitude. First, he says, God has enabled us to be in the light. He's enabled us to be in the light. He's granted us the joy of a wonderful inheritance in the light. What's this mean? We get to be in the presence of God. We look forward to heaven. There's a reason to be grateful Next in verse 13, God had rescued these believers from the grip of darkness. Prior to knowing Jesus, they were in the kingdom of darkness, a part of Satan's wicked kingdom. With all of the accompanying sludge and grime that sin brings. And yet God had rescued them. There's a reason to be thankful. Next, God had transferred these believers into his own kingdom into the kingdom of his son, the Lord Jesus. Now, as a U.S. citizen, we enjoy certain privileges, certain benefits. But if we know Jesus, friends, we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom with incredible and amazing eternal benefits and privileges. Oh, there's a reason to be thankful. Finally, Paul reminds these believers that in Christ, they have redemption. Their sins can be forgiven. You see, God is holy and he will not overlook sin. His character character will not permit him to overlook sin any more than a police officer can overlook a thief robbing a bank. And that means that all of us are in trouble because every single one of us is sinful. So what God did was he took his rightful wrath towards sin and he place that upon his own son. That's why Jesus died and suffered on the cross. He took our place. He took the punishment that you deserve, that I deserve upon himself. And he made a way for a God who's absolutely pure to be in fellowship, to have relationship with people who are guilty, who are sinners like you and me. That's why Jesus died. And Paul says here that we've been redeemed that he's redeemed us, that he's given us forgiveness of sins. When we turn to to Jesus in faith, our sins are forgiven and God gives us the perfect life that Christ lived. He he gives us credit for that. He, He credits that to our account. It was September 11th, 1857, and a terrible storm was battering the SS Central America. 
It was a Category 2 hurricane with 105 mile per hour winds. They were pounding this ship. And on the evening of September 12th, this battered vessel could no longer withstand the storm. The ship sank. 425 people died that dreadful day. And at least three tons of California gold sunk as well. It has been estimated that the value of that gold in today's dollars would be $400 million. $400 million. Now, in the years since that fateful day, many treasure hunters searched for the SS Central America. You can see why. But the ship's loot, they couldn't discover. That is until an engineer named Tommy Thompson. He came up with a plan. He spent years and years developing a plan to try to locate this vessel and then to figure out how to dive deep, deep down and to retrieve the treasures that were there. He recruited many investors in the process. And what he did is he, he designed a diving robot. This robot would dive 8,000 feet, locate the ship, and recover treasure from the SS Central America. Well, in 1988, Thompson and his team successfully recovered gold bars and coins valued at over $100 million. At this point, they had only explored about 5% of the wreckage. It's been called the richest discovery in American history. Now, Thompson, he turned out to be a scoundrel. He cheated investors, hit out with the money, and today he's in jail. But think about this. Thompson dedicated years and years and years of his life to this one pursuit, to getting a hold of this treasure. And he kept going until he found that treasure. Now, friends, if only we had a similar passion for knowing the Lord. If only we would be serious about knowing Jesus and learning about him. If only this were our greatest desire. If we would dedicate our lives to him, to discovering the depths of who he is. You want to talk about a treasure worth seeking? Now, friends, knowing Jesus, walking close to him, that's a treasure that lasts. Earlier, we talked about this idea of a spiritual checkup. Well, it's that time. I want you to think through some questions with me. And as we do, I want you to quietly in your heart say to God, God, will you speak to my heart? Will you show me areas in my life that that don't add up? Areas that need to change. So, So ask the Lord. First, do you delight in knowing the ways of God? Do you delight in knowing the ways of God? Are you you learning more about Him? Do you read the Bible daily? Are you in Bible study group or, or class? Are you memorizing God's Word? Do you make attending worship where, where you can learn more about the Word of priority? Are you going deeper and deeper in your knowledge of God? If not, today's the day. Make a, make a change. Start digging into the Bible every day. Start reading His Word. Be in worship weekly. Get in a Bible study group. Learn God's will. Learn His ways. Hunger to know Him more. Friends, hunt for this treasure. Next, are you filled with the knowledge of God, but your life doesn't show it? Are you filled with the knowledge of God, but your life doesn't show it? You got the bow, but you don't know how to shoot it. You see, some of you have gone to church for years and years and you've sat in worship service after worship service, Bible study after Bible study, but really you aren't changing. You may be accumulating more knowledge, but your life's not being transformed. You aren't serving Christ. 
You aren't telling people about Jesus. You aren't more Christ-like in the way that you treat your spouse. Your mouth is perhaps still vulgar and vile. Your life isn't delightful to God because while you have knowledge about God and his ways, you're just not concerned about living that out. There's no room for this in the Christian life. That's not a category. You see, in the Bible, God expects a person who really knows the Lord Jesus to be changed. Think about a fish that will not swim or an eagle that refused to fly. Those aren't categories. Neither is a person who says, I'm a Christian, but, but isn't changing, isn't being transformed and shaped by God. Next, do you aim to delight God? Do you aim to delight God? Do you really desire to live a life that thrills God? Do you want your words to please him? Do you want your attitudes to, to honor him? Do you want your thoughts to, to bring God to light? Or do you excuse sin in your life? You know, after all, who cares if I'm a little high on myself and I kind of treat others as something less? I'm not murdering anybody. Or what's a lustful thought or two? It's not like I'm being intimate outside of marriage or I'm cheating on my spouse. What's the big deal? You see, when we minimize sin like this, it says something. It says we do not care about delighting the heart of God. You see, if we care about honoring God and thrilling God and giving him joy, then in every area, we want our lives to line up with the word of God. We, we want to thrill the, the heavenly father. You see, when you want to delight God, you strive to live in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus. You want your whole life to please him. Next, a final critical question. Do you really know God? Do you really know God? Could it be that you know about God, but you don't actually know him? It could be that you haven't changed because you've never really turned to Christ in faith. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you've missed the most awesome reality that any human could ever experience personal relationship with the God who created the whole universe. Won't you turn to Christ in faith today and be saved to know the treasure of knowing God? Something I've noticed about my kids, if I compliment one of them, the others will, will try to do something to get a compliment. I even see this with my two-year-old. If my older kids draw me a picture, she wants a piece of paper and she's going to scribble something and she's going to hand me that piece of paper. Now, in these moments, it's easy to see how much they long for their daddy to delight in them. Do we long to delight our daddy, our heavenly father? Do we long to bring joy to the heart of God? Please understand, you can't earn God's approval. Don't misunderstand me. You're given the approval of God when you place your faith in Jesus and nothing you do or nothing you don't do could make him love you more or love you less once you're in Christ. But you can, once you're in Christ, walk in a way that pleases the heart of God, in a way that delights the heart of God. You see, when my kiddos give me their pictures, it's a delight to me to look at them and, and to see they're, they're offering me something of themselves. Friend, your whole Life is meant to be an offering to God. Something that might delight him. So we delight in knowing the ways of God. 
that our ways might be a delight to the heart of God. If you're a believer here today, what step do you need to take? Do you need to delight in learning more about God? Do you need to commit to to being in worship regularly where you can hear the word? Being in a Bible study where you can interact and share and discuss the word with other believers? Do you need to commit to reading the Bible daily? Ask God to help you delight in him, to help you hunger for him, to help you seek him, to empower you, to give you the strength to go deep in the word of God. Yes, friend, ask him for help and then dive in, dive in. If you're not yet a Christian, I want to speak directly to you. The word of God says that you will face God at judgment. This is clear from scripture. You can see it over and over. And on that day, you won't be able to stand before God who is absolutely and totally holy and give him your list of good deeds. You won't be able to do that. You might have imagined that you would do that. You might have imagined that you would say to him, oh God, you know, I haven't done that many bad things. And look at all these great things I've done. And you thought, oh, God's going to say, you're right. Come in. That's crazy thinking. God is pure, absolutely pure. And you know what it takes to disqualify you from entering his presence? One sin. And friends, there's not a person here who doesn't qualify. We're all guilty in sin. Your one hope, and it is your only hope, is that you have called out to the Lord Jesus And you've said to him, I know that you died on that cross, that you were buried and that you were raised again. And I'm putting my life in your hands. God, I'm turning from a life of sin and I'm putting my life in your hands. And the moment you do that, you will have the approval of God. And when you stand before God at judgment day, you won't have to fear. You'll know there'll be no list of good deeds. What will will secure your entry into heaven? What will ensure that you are, are one who inherit the light that Paul talked about? It's that the blood of Christ has covered every sin and his perfect life has been credited to you. So friend, I ask you today, have you put your faith in the Lord Jesus? And if you haven't, why not today? You may say, well, there'll be another day. I'm going to get there. I'm thinking about it. But friend, will you have another day? That's a privilege, a luxury that you may not have. Today's the day of salvation. If you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus today, you could could call out to him and you could find the greatest treasure of all, knowing the Lord Jesus, being in the kingdom of God. Join me in prayer.